Hey everyone, it's Roger from There Be Giants, and no, it's not your usual Jenny. Jenny's on a break uh, today, so I am uh, here to have a conversation with a very, very special guest, uh, someone that we've had join us all the way from America. I'm very pleased to have with us uh, Uvin Naidu from Harvard uh, Business School. Now, uh, Uvin uh, is a faculty member of the uh, Accountancy and Management Unit in, uh, in the Harvard Business School. He's one of the leading thinkers of both agility and OKRs in North America, uh, having pioneered Harvard Business School's short intensive program on agility called From Agile to OKRs. But he hasn't always been in academia. He has spent 20 years at the forefront of uh, businesses in emerging markets and the finance sector as well. And he's also one of the few global thinkers uh, and business leaders to have co-written two recent powerful articles, uh, one with McKinsey and one with Boston Consulting Group. The McKinsey paper was about how whether agile organizations outperform others in a crisis. And with the BCG paper, it was on the latest uh, in innovation, agility, and uh, teams uh, using OKRs. It is a blueprint for large non-digital companies uh, to become more digitally agile. He's, he has an intense schedule, so we're very, very, very lucky to have him with us. And he's actually speaking to us all the way from the West Coast of America at the moment. Uh, so we have a lot to pack in over the uh, over the next hour or so. So I'm delighted to have you with us, Uvin. It's a great pleasure to be here, Roger. Thank you for joining us. So you are over on the West Coast at the moment, uh, doing some very, very exciting uh, uh, things. Um, and uh, what is it that you can share about what you're up to at the moment? Well, currently particularly through this uh, challenging time around the world, uh, this issue of how does one energize a team? How does one get focused, particularly as organizations prepare to rekit and retool is top of mind. And needless to say, the themes of agility and OKRs once again, continue to be at the forefront. Uh, it, is, it is about um, leaders trying to harness uh, their teams to deliver in an ever increasing and effective manner uh, to satisfy uh, customers with higher needs. So it's been a busy time and it's been a pleasure being on the West Coast, uh, working and supporting uh, several key organizations. Excellent, excellent. Now I was particularly drawn uh, to the Boston Consulting Group paper, which you uh, uh, co-wrote uh, co recently. Um, because it was very much focused on uh, a very interesting concept to do with innovation, uh, a model that you coined, uh, that you called uh, the innovation flywheel. Um, and that's something that I'd really love to just explore a little bit more with you, if, that, if that's okay. Um, and if we could maybe just start off with, you know, we know that innovation, I mean, we know household names like Netflix and Amazon, you know, they are hugely innovative organizations. They, they, they thrive on innovation. But there's a lot of organizations out there that are not 
what you term in the paper digitally native. They haven't grown up in this digital uh, era. They existed before, and they need to catch up. Um, and so, what 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 is the data now telling us about the challenges that these digit, non digitally native organisations are facing? Well, it was a huge privilege to work on the article um, with several close colleagues. And one of the goals of um, you know, this recent release was to really help particularly non-digital organizations think through um, what they're currently facing. It's, it's, it's quite a, an, an, a daunting um, a position as a, as a business leader in a Fortune 500 company, watching the digital natives accelerate with the tremendous growth. And we start this article with this, that many are left whether they're individuals, whether they're teams, uh, whether they're entire organizations. In some instances, we even extend it to entire countries and nation states in the thinking that when you, we're seeing others seem to accelerate away, how do you think about you, mm. particularly yourself as an individual, as a company, as an organization, uh, getting the so-called innovation flywheel going, the cycle of uh, success? Mm. And so... Part of it is an approach on how to start that cycle. A number of what the particularly interviews and some of the data uh, um, uh, that's 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 emerging in, in in the research is that digital is often defined by many leaders as we often turn to the kind of nuts and bolts of things, uh, you know, being connected to technology making sure you're, you're wired in a, in a team. Next level is usually talk about the internet of things and AI. What's yeah. very exciting about the article is we wanted to push the, the frontiers and say it is all of those, but it's also about a mindset. The mm. digital mindset in a connected world is how you respond to data, how you, re how you react. And so in many instances, it's not just about having the right strategy. It's about how that's implemented. It's not just about how that's implemented. Your ability to respond is as important, uh, if not uh, critical these days, your ability to adapt and respond to uh, customers' needs. And so the innovation flywheel is how do you get these flywheels around the organization uh, running, growing, and creating these cycles of uh, a, a positive success? Mm. Yeah, it, it, it is absolutely uh, critical that obviously that that happens and and it's it, it's really interesting that you you find that um i mean i look at this obviously through through our experience of working with okrs and i i, I do find that a lot of use of okrs is 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 not necessarily focused on on innovation and that makes that that makes me a little sad actually <laughs> if i'm completely honest um, I find that they often are used for um, trying to build alignment, and there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But alignment, some for some organisations, can mean um, you know falling into line, which doesn't really imply much freedom for, for innovation and, and testing. So uh, it's it, it's a really interesting um, sort of missed opportunity i think in in a lot of organizations which 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 i've 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 worked with over the uh, over the past few years i think you're spot on roger um you know whether you're adopting an agile operating model or objectives and key results or okrs mm. 
they're not a they're, they're not an end in itself it's the means to an end and what the innovation flywheel and um you know really aims to deliver as a message at the end is that being digital and being innovative these were often separate units that organizations would set up right um grow the business run the business um there was a chief digital officer. Well, the news now is that all businesses, it seems, and I use this word all in parenthesis, have a platform approach. Digital is here and has integrated itself in almost everything from government to heavy industry, to power and utilities, as well as to, of course, the digital natives, which everyone has been fascinated in terms of their growth, this hyper-connected world of responding to customers. Absolutely, we're seeing the trend. But what's interesting is there are now power utility companies in North America and globally that are embracing this new mindset that the knowledge lies within an organization. And so that architecture of how you think about it, starting with the design of the organization, how information flows, how people are connected, not just digitally, because as I mentioned, ultimately being digital, operating the digital world is a mindset. Mm. One thing as well is that it's not just about big budgets. And so at the heart of it is we were trying to address what we found to be the hopelessness of, of a generation of leaders, because what got you here may not get you there. You know, If you're a senior person in financial services and running an organization, Typically, what helped you reach that spot it, it was a different environment. And so right now, the ability to adapt is key, the ability to bring in the right talent. So the innovation mm -hmm. flywheel is, is about getting the momentum and setting yourself on this path. And the results have been profound, just engaging some of the leading companies in getting uh, um, the mindset and, and the process in place to set up for success uh, has been great. It's a lot of work. At the end of the day, we're talking about a cultural change mm -hmm. from a silo-based uh, uh, approach, from a waterfall-based approach. And I want us to get away from the kind of business speak and jargon, but ultimately to building organizations to be more responsive and resilient. Let me sum it up in the kind of mantra that we shared in our short intensive program. It's hard to grow fast if you manage slow. <laughs> Let me repeat that. It's hard to grow fast if you manage slow. Mm. And so anyone that listens to that in terms of time to market, time to respond, if you're thinking, wait a minute, I think we're feeling a bit slow, and, and many of us do, the answer is in your hands, right? Particularly if you're a leader, the answer is in your hands. It's not going to be easy. And so the innovation flywheel is about how do you get particularly in organizations, it's a specific type of organization that find themselves in this malaise. What do we do? We're not digital. We may not have the budget. Mm. Here's the toolkit to break through and, and, and start a, a process. And objectives and key results or outcomes-based thinking is integral uh, to this ecosystem. Mm. And you, oh, Yes, that, that final term uh, just nailed it for me. It is an ecosystem. You know, 
it, 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 it is about designing it into the organization and the way that you're structured, as you said, how a communication and how data flows and how teams are structured and how they work together and how they, they are um, united by common goals and so on and so forth. It, it, it is far more than just having digital technology in the business. It's absolutely true. So, okay. so talking about that in the sense of um, how does an organization uh, um, think through the current uh, ecosystem? Um, so depending on where you are, whether you're an entrepreneur or a fast-growing business, or in many of the organizations we engage, a Fortune 50, Fortune 500 company, uh, thousands of employees, typically divisions across the world, everybody driving the so-called oil tanker, you know, large organization. Mm. You, you know, you've got to think way ahead in terms of turning it. We, you'll often hear, how do we become a speedboat? And I think the starting point is to always start with the question we're trying to answer, right? What's your purpose? What's your goal? Because any new change program is fundamentally difficult. In fact, people have change fatigue. Um, and so what you choose um, often starts um, really with the primary purpose of leaders in organizations, which is purpose, which is goals. And it's fascinating that even in many of the leading organizations, the leaders that do the small poll around the table, top five, top 10, to say, what do you think are our three or five primary goals? How often the answers are different. Mm. Yet in, in organizations that are focused and laser focused, you often see there's a greater conversion. And so part of it is to take the time, the time for executives to say, one of the key purposes is setting the purpose, goals, and dare we say, without using the jargon, the objectives of the organization, right? Um, and to give yourself the ability to do that. And so a lot of uh, organizations that have actually started agile immersions, they have some of the leading blue chip companies there, they're running the sprints and they're running this. I often find, you know, when we engage, I often say, so we're running, you, you, you've invested the time, the effort, huge investment in bringing, you know, leading thinkers, leading blue chip consulting houses to come and do this, you know, really remarkable support. As a leadership team, though, have you managed to link your objectives and key results to what those sprints are? And for a long time, you know, coming out of the Peter Drucker ecosystem, of course, management yeah. by objectives. Yeah. And of course, at Intel, um, that was taken further. Um, and so, you know, OKRs or objectives and key results have gained attraction. But oftentimes in the conversation, we say, leave out the acronyms. At the end of the day, it is about setting outcomes and mm. targets that activate the full potential of your organization. Uh, and, 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 and that I find particularly exciting during COVID, post the COVID crisis, yeah. is the activation of the full potential of a team. I love I that. Know. Activation of potential is, is, is 100%. Yeah, yeah, I get I love that. So let me know if you have any other questions, Roger. 
Oh, I've got plenty. Don't you worry, Hooven. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, we talked, obviously, about the innovation flywheel. We've certainly mentioned it. Would you be able to just kind of explain to our listeners a little bit of, about it, um, about the model itself? Absolutely. Um, and again, um, you know, partnering with my colleagues, one of the greatest challenges leaders often face is the inertia to action, right? And so at the heart of the innovation flywheel is a bias towards action, getting things done. How do you delayer and get things done? And so there are several core principles to getting an innovation flywheel uh, culture and an innovation flywheel operating model going, right? At the one hand, it is a decision framework on how to get things done. You know, how do leaders think through on what to do, what to do next? So it's a decision framework, right? So from a strategic level. On the other hand, it's also a delivery framework, really executing. So it balances strategy to execution. So the first kind of principle is a bias to action. That a very focused, as we say in the agile world, backlog and series of priorities linked we don't talk about objectives and key results because mm -hmm. that would have been introducing a whole host of elements into it. But the purpose and the goal is where we set, where we start. What is the core projects that you believe are going to move the, move the ball forward down the field, right? Mm -hmm. And oftentimes, particularly in organizations, everything seems attractive. But this is the heavy thinking of saying, what do we think the essence that we boil down to? That if you had to speak to anyone across the organization, you'll say these are the core things that we are going to focus on. So purpose, it starts with purpose. Then outlining those into goals and then getting the kind of key teams focused on delivery of that. So bias towards purpose and focus and a bias towards action. We also focus on this term called a maker culture. That oftentimes large organizations and by sector, think healthcare, financial services, an absolute respect for risk and compliance. So how do you bring them in early into the process, but with a bias towards delivery and what we call the maker mindset and the maker uh, 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 belief? Measurement then comes into it on how do you set the goals and outcomes are linked to this in the sense of not setting limitations, but thinking in terms of an outcomes-based uh, um approach. And what do we mean by an outcomes-based approach, right? Because oftentimes, uh, and let me put it in a, in a, in a nutshell, if you uh, in a dot-com business or uh, in um, a service business, um, you'll often hear people set their KPIs, key performance indicators as, uh, you know, this campaign should reach 10,000 people or 1,000 people. The outcomes mindset, right, is really talking about not just what but how you do that, right? Uh, we're going to delight X thousand people by making sure it reaches them and have a repeat click of X. There's an action towards it. There's an actual measurement. It's going to have a, a net promoter score of this or what. Mm -hmm. But whatever it is, is that it boils it down to something that can be measured within a time frame. And it's been remarkable introducing that into the thinking and into the DNA of what uh, 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 the flywheel uh, concept is. And then allowing the organization and team to launch the flywheels um, and think through how they connect 
But part of it is moving from a fail, uh, uh, fail early model to a learn fast model. And to do that smartly and responsibly, depending on the organization. And what would you say is the main difference between a, you know, a fail fast and a learn fast model? What's, what's the main difference? The main difference is how do you set up the ecosystem that allows for that? And particularly in highly regulated companies and organizations, even using the words fail fast immediately has the antibodies come up. So people say fail fast, Yeah, experimenting, we're in healthcare, we're in, we're in banking. So first of all, it starts with the mindset that, the, that part of it is the learn fast is about providing the guardrails and the safety and outlining what that could be. So as, a, as, a, as an example, experimentation, if you're in risk and in financial services, an experiment will be run, but the socialization takes place that as a certain product with a certain risk feature is put out there, the default rate, for example, could be extremely high, but sensitizing executives and leaders to those parameters prevents the so-called surprise uh, of, of, of X, Y, Z and, and, and framing it as a learn fast, but socializing what those parameters are and what those guardrails are become very important, which is why. Done in isolation, these things are difficult. It needs the sponsorship and leadership of teams at the top. And how you respond to that first uh, challenge is going to dictate uh, um, the successes uh, in the future. Because ultimately, the innovation flywheel is thinking through smart, filtered ideas. It's not about, oh, I have an idea, let me launch it. There is a process by which it, get, it you, you have to iterate and go through. So one of the cases that uh, we just released uh, was on a leading financial services group. Um, and it links, I believe it's one of the first cases to not just be about agility and objectives and key results. It's one of the first cases at the Harvard Business School, certainly on, on one of the global case platforms to link both together. And it's about linking the kind of innovation flywheel approach of agility and the goal setting of the senior leadership team <clears throat> with this specifically in the case we mentioned, the leadership says we want to learn fast, right? Mm. And how do you shorten the cycle between the feedback from the delivery from the agile sprint, tying that back as the backlog gets updated, right? As a sprint backlog gets added, how do the objectives and key results get updated in real time? And we're reaching a phase in which the link between seeing objectives and key results grow in real time, linked to an agile backlog, is, is fast approaching. Organizations are working feverishly to do this, right? And the key is linking your operational rhythm, your agile operating rhythm, to your goal setting and performance measurement rhythm. The shorter that cycle, which you build up with muscle memory, the faster the ability to learn fast, right? Because the longer the runway, the greater the chance of challenges emerging. And so in the right hands, the entire ecosystem becomes a risk reduction model. Hmm. The purpose of agility and OKRs, oftentimes many new to it will say, 
the risk is too high. I need more, you know, uh, this isn't structured enough. It actually is structured. It is, it, it, it has the guardrails and the framework, but the freedom to empower teams within those guardrails, uh, mm. guardrails to act. I often describe it as, you know, we, the, the parameters, the edges of the pitch are set and it's then the people that have to go on the pitch and play the game. But, um, that, that's, that's, yeah, yeah, I, I, I see what you mean. Okay. So, you know, we talked about the fact that there are digitally native and non-digitally native organizations um, and and those that are, are not there yet can't suddenly become innovative overnight or they might be, right sort of dipping their toe in the water to some degree, but they're not going to go through that uh, or, uh, that organizational transformation that we were just talking about a few minutes ago. So where would you suggest that an organization like that would start if they wanted to, you know, start to become more innovative? Absolutely. I was recently on um, a global webinar with Jeffrey Moore, who coined Crossing the Chasm, and always such an honor to work with Jeffrey. Um, you know, he introduced the world to such a wonderful concept and popularized the S-curve, Crossing the Chasm. And what I loved about that discussion, um, where we were throwing around ideas, is that organizations are at different stages of growth and development, if you took at the proverbial S-curve, right? at the startup phase that hockey stick dips below um, in terms of delivery of product, in terms of cash flows, uh, in terms of uh, uh, um, um, even returns to shareholders, right? Mm -hmm. Think of Amazon in the, in the early days, burning through cash as it went through that hockey stick. And many are continuing through that, but it's the growth that's rewarded. Um, but organizations, not only are they at different stages vis-a-vis uh, others in their sector, inside organizations, different parts are at different stages of development. And this is where it becomes really difficult, setting objectives, key results, goals, compensation, the, the humanity of running an entity or business, which is like a mini economy, right? This is the challenge. And you've got to identify, and I, I think this is, in Moore's new work, which I think is an incredibly valuable contribution, where he breaks down the mindset inside an organization, take a big bank, big healthcare company, big manufacturing company, that you've got to recognize that different parts of your business will perform differently. But in this world of democratization, you'll have one leader saying, why are they being rewarded when uh, that launch failed and they actually got X, Y, Z? And so it's very important to be transparent and, uh, and clear. But the starting point often is clarity of purpose. Regardless of whether you're digital or non-digital, and let's all agree that business is digital, right? COVID certainly brought that to bear. Whether you're running a high school or a, 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 a not-for-profit, you became digital. You, you had to, right? Um, it starts with the mindset. It starts with purpose and clarity. It starts with building on what you have that brought you to where you are. And how do you increase your operational rhythm to deliver, right? So as an example, if your organization's runway to deliver an update to a customer or a new app 
If I go back 15 years ago, I remember I was in an organization where we pioneered a lot of online banking at that stage, very much launched first in online banking. Mm -hmm. Having an eight to 12 month runway to deliver on a project at that point was considered fine, if not good, six to eight months. Wow, right? Mm -hmm. You speak eight to 12 months now for an app, you know there's a, there's a challenge. And so part of the leadership team is to think through, are we clear about what we are doing? That's step one. Step two, what is the culture that we have embraced? How are we thinking about the different parts of the business? And the biggest element is don't let perfection be the enemy of good. This maker mindset that mm. perfection is not the enemy of good, even in the world of high risk and high compliance, right? And part of it is, think about the agile leaders that are now doing incredible, incredible engineering feats. You know, building a Tesla and iterating and releasing software at the rate that a Tesla does, right, as an organization. In many ways, you can hear, you know, this is the motor industry, uh, high risk. Um, if something goes wrong in the engineering, X, Y, Z, right, is you're launching rockets into space. These are high precision elements, right? How can agile and this type of focus in terms of driving these innovation flywheels that are very specific on bringing things over the line is to change the mindset in an organization as a risk reduction mechanism, but then to operationalize that risk reduction. So information is, 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 is shared, transparency exists, People, uh, people speak out. Um, ultimately, it delivers to the customer in terms of what they have. So mm. when we speak about Amazon, you know, I wanted to share this point. And you know, a lot is written about Amazon. And yes, people follow it. Amazon's competitive advantage. People, of, you know, we talk about the so-called long tail and how they started where initially it was hard to find products and they were able to keep that because they were getting it from a central warehouse and you were able to get this huge choice online. And so started the DNA of Amazon. But where it's moved to is not just the ability to be able to locate and connect folks, and now it has the marketplace. Amazon is able to release an update to the customer engagement and interface approximately once every 10 seconds, right? So think about that muscle memory, that once every 10 seconds, and Google this, you'll see the number, it's, it, it changes. But around that vicinity, think of their competition who will, who will think about strategy from various aspects, right? Of course, it's uh, the marketing and the branding and delivering and getting it to your front door. But that customer experience, that muscle memory of if something new comes up with a competitor on, this, on, 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 on one side, Amazon has this ability, not just to innovate and come up with what we call disruptive innovation or the kind of new innovation, but incremental innovation, mm. right? These are the different types of innovation. That is an extreme competitive advantage to have. And it's at the reach of everyone. You've got some banks, financial services that are building this ability to be able to respond. Um, and that is about coordination, reducing friction within. Japanese management would call it reducing waste in the old language, yeah. right? Yes. But reducing friction. 
It starts with clear goals, but it also starts on how you operationalize those clear goals through uh, an entity. Koan is a purpose-built solution for managing your OKRs, helping your teams achieve their objectives, getting them aligned, and absolutely helping them stay engaged. Sharing spreadsheets simply doesn't scale when you're trying to grow a business. With Koan, you can scale OKRs across your entire company whilst keeping the teams motivated and moving in the right direction. Now, Lawrence, there's lots of things we love about Koan, but tell me one of yours. I've got to say, one of my favourite things is that Koan just allows you to have a bit of fun with the OKR process. Yeah. Um, in, in Series 2, I think it was Episode 3 of this podcast, we actually... <laughs> spent about half an hour, 40 minutes, talking about the importance of making OKRs fun for your team. Yeah. Um, and, and Koan allows you to do that perfectly. Yeah. You know, even just things like adding a, a gift to, to your reflections adds some real personality. And I think I probably waste far too much time each week looking for the perfect gift, to be honest. But <laughs> it, it allows that fun throughout the organisation, and that's something that's really important if you're going to keep people engaged. You are known for having the best gifts Thank you in, very much. in the team, definitely. <laughs> so if you would like to find out more about how to make OKRs fun uh, whilst using a great system, then pop along to uh, koan, that's K-O-A-N dot co, forward slash giants where you'll find also a great paper that we co-wrote with them on how to build accountability and collaboration using OKRs. It's interesting because I kind of reflect on some of the uh, uh, some of the warning signs, if you will, that I, that we look for when we work with our clients, or when we, or rather, when we uh, when we're at the early stages of working with our clients, perhaps even maybe at discovery stage, because there are some red flags that show up that lead us to uh, um, uh, have concerns about whether, in our case, OKRs are right for that organisation. Um, you know, if there's a high prevalence of command and control, if there is a high level of friction, and that might look like, you know, teams not working with each other, functions not working with each other, and that there isn't really the appetite from leadership to commit the time that's required to actually, as you say, do the definition, put the work in, get that clarity. Uh, because if that's not there, then Often, often they're falling back on OKRs because they've heard that it's the next thing and they want to use it to try and enforce alignment through the business. And there have been instances where we've actually said, sorry, we can't help you. We can't help you because what you're trying to do is, is, is just, you know, repeat the old MBO approaches of, of years gone by and just call them OKRs. And that is not, that, that's, that's not how it works. I, I think you, you're onto something. You know, you know. There's so many folks that that doing it right takes time, takes effort, takes the discipline. But but the results um, mm. can be absolutely phenomenal once once you get it going. And mm. it, it really is an issue of um, of a management decision and a management mindset. Um, particularly in the article we mentioned, this is not about having a big digital budget or an IT budget. This is about how do you make uh, decisions. I recall years ago in a large financial services organization, having served in the C-suite uh, um, strategically, operationally, 
um, adopting this the kind of CEO COO kind of mindset. We 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 embarked on a on a on a on a on a project on uh, digital payments. I remember, and I was helping lead that across the continent. And what we discovered is between the retail bank and the investment bank. Number one, both had significant external teams helping them build a cross-border app for flow of funds. Mm. Retail, large retail bank. And so it took that coordination and said, hey, wait a minute, we, we, we both, let's get together. And the teams were so excited to get together. So excited, right? We then discovered being an 18-country portfolio, not only was it across the retail and investment bank, the, one of the countries in uh, the Western region of the continent had also had a country app that was helping folks inside move money to a neighboring country. So you had three teams mm. with three budgets. And this is what happens. The coordination costs within an organization, what we call the dark work, dark work that's going on. You have to say, is this moving the ball forward? And so here's a classic example from management a decade ago. It still exists. Is that bringing all together, the teams on the ground were like, wow, we did not even know that the folks next door were having this because of the sharing of information. Remember, each had their budget, each mm. has teams, and each were well healed to be able to launch it, right? And when the project started to build in terms of the innovation flywheel, the leaders of the country, of the investment bank and retail bank, intervened and said, we actually want to do this on our own. Because there was this mentality of each building an empire. Yeah. This is a narrative that comes time and time and time again. In this day and age in which customers are keen on seamless service, seamless support, and waste has to be eliminated with ever-tightening budgets, these coordination costs, they're within management mindset decisions. It's very easy for leaders to be comfortable in what we call the gray, right? Where ah, those are, uh, uh, you know, uh, um, Helen's pet projects and that's Joe's project in that division. <laughs> Let's not touch that turf, right? Yet what we pushed in the last case that we released, as I mentioned, the one that linked the, the objective and key result operating rhythm to the delivery is the leaders got together and said, quarterly business review, linked to a monthly business review, linked to the sprints, but at the QBR, radical transparency on which projects are being done, why, and is it moving the ball forward and everybody participating. This is not being about pet projects and individuals. It's being about the customer and the organization. And leaders, sometimes it's hard. That's the toughest thing to do, to say, hey, agility and goal setting is not about having and doing the thousand things, the hard stuff is focusing on the core. We often talk about this in our advanced courses, working with leaders in our agile immersions, helping transform companies, is that the so-called language of, say, we want to increase your velocity of delivery is not about doing more things in less mm. time. It's about doing less things. It's about eliminating, the, as I mentioned, the dark work that actually distracts you, right? Where it's learning to say no, but smartly. It's actually not just saying no, you're actually saying yes to the important things. You're putting that top of mind. That's what separates good to great, and I would say great 
to amazing. Yes. Yeah. 100%. A lot of the work that we do is about helping the, helping, uh, the initially the leadership team to uh, really truthfully prioritize and, and to rationalize down from that view of, well, we want to, we want everything. Well, of course you do that. You know, you're a leadership team you, and you should be ambitious, but yeah, you're <laughs> getting them to, to, to sort of settle on the, on, on the, the vital few, the, the two or three objectives, which are going to really deliver transformation for them. Yeah. And the innovation flywheel, what's interesting is because you've got the dynamos on these different core elements going, and you're getting the feedback loop in the innovation flywheel linked, call it your quarterly business review. Mm. You are reducing that kind of runway of risk, right? You know, think of launching the so-called, the example of launching the rocket, right? If you are able to course adjust early on in the trajectory, because you know if it's half a degree off at launch, it's ending up going <laughs> miles away. From Way of course, yeah. What we are trying to do is find smart mechanisms. But let's get back to the heart of objectives and key results and agility. Yes, it's about outcomes. It's about delivering value to customers. It's about performance. We absolutely want to celebrate success, right? Be that a, a profitable, healthy business that's stable and employing folks and delighting customers. But the biggest is delighting customers, but also empowering staff. You know, one of the sessions we always begin with is the famous poll on globally, the Gallup poll on what's the percentage of staff or workers that are disengaged in companies. And some of the results say in many organizations, even if you're a startup with that fast paced culture, particularly in Fortune 50, Fortune 500, it's up to 80% can be typically disengaged in a company, 80% of your workforce. What do we mean by disengaged? Meaning you come to work every day and you're really not sure what you're doing is actually moving the organization forward. Mm, it's soul-destroying. Sure. It's soul-destroying, right? Yeah. Um, we found further that not only are 80% disengaged, almost half in many of these big organizations, when they're disengaged, actively looking for a new role elsewhere. Often that's an eye-opener. Mm. Because what, what, what's, the, what's the feedback we get? We say, we've got, a, we got this stretch goal. We've got this amazing opportunity. And one of the first things people ask for is I need more what? Budget and more people. I need more people. Mm. Of course, there's circumstances where that's warranted. But 80% often disengaged in a company. That's what you need to activate. It's frightening. It is frightening. That's what I mean, you need to activate. Yeah. One of the organizations that most people know of, um, which has got a great reputation for activating its people, is Google. And I, I understand you spent some time with Larry, Larry Page, um, reflecting on these uh, the, these kinds of challenges that we've been talking about uh, here today. Oh no! Thank you for for bringing back that that memory. Yes, um, several years ago, I was very privileged to do an opening talk um, at TED uh, TED Global. Chris Anderson, the curator, invited me to do this, and Larry was sitting in the front row. And I, when I delivered that talk. Um, afterwards, uh, he approached me and said, I would really like a one-on-one -on -one meeting. And we ended up spending a large part of the evening uh, uh, engaging in business strategy. Phenomenal discussion. 
you know, the takeaways from, um, uh, you know, that request to connect to Larry and, and engage is several things. Number one, what an incredible, curious, hungry, engaging mind. And our discussion was particularly on emerging markets. Google hadn't at that point reached key emerging markets. And he was so keen on a strategy to implement and execute. And the takeaways from that is page was laser focused, right? This is before the OKR books that shared, uh, you know, pages adoption and Sergey Brin's adoption of OKRs. That embrace of absolute focus. Conversation was focused on goals. It was focused on execution. It was focused on cutting through and, and getting uh, to the chase. One of the memories is in that speech, uh, I had put up a map of Africa at night um, and the world at night. And you could see the whole world. And of course, uh, some continents having less light than others. And so the theme was about empowerment and opportunity and possibility of what this could bring. And I remember uh, um, we, 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 Paige and I sat for a very long time, but early on, he said, I have something to show you. And this was just before Google Maps was released. And, and he, shared, he showed me, uh, um, uh, he said, you notice that your map of where electricity is around the world is almost a mirror of where there's the internet. Because mm. where there's power, there's the internet. And he said, you know, maps are my hobby. And your study said maps are my hobby. And then obviously this came out. But Page's focus, absolutely laser focus, data changing the world. If we get power to different parts, how do we get bandwidth? And, and, and then, you know, they've got launching off the balloons. And I think it's, it's a lesson. It's a lesson for, for, for leaders that you've got to bring that focus to your people. That becomes the guiding light and the true north gets alignment that is is what we are doing moving the ball towards that court right jeff bezos having the empty seat in the boardroom and he says that empty seat is the voice of the customer and famously when someone says you know we could push certain products on the search and he says what would the person in the customer seat say then we'd break that trust right and so i think leaders send those messages and put the dna and 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 that's where um, that's where success happens is with that, with that focus. Um, and you see it. And so John Doerr famously, when he says, you know, when he first met Paige and Bryn and he's sitting in the room and in his mind at that point goes, wow, this is a once in a lifetime moment. This, these, these are the people that we back in. Oftentimes I think this is the purvey of leadership. It is within your control. Mm. I'm in the accounting and management unit. And we often have this debate in class with my, with my students. And I, I really enjoy bringing subjects that are considered sometimes to people like taking medicine to transform them and make them exciting. So for performance controls and, and management, which because I think it's a leader's responsibility to make numbers understandable to your organization. That's the CEO. Very much so. Very much make so. it understandable. People understand it. Exciting. Here's the, here's the hill we're going to take, right? Um, and one of the one of the discussions we have is a very famous case um, in which uh, the weather patterns change, and you can determine the sales of your beverage and your ice cream. In this case, big company, um, based on uh, the degree Celsius that changes. And we ask students the question: Should the team 
because we, we, we study the case method, which is very practice-based. You're the CEO. And um, during the heat wave, one region in the country actually did well and one didn't. Should leaders be held responsible for the weather? What do you think, Roger? Should they be held responsible for the weather? <laughs> ah, it wasn't my fault that it became cold and ice cream sales dropped, or it wasn't my fault. And it's fascinating the responses we get, right? Mm. What do you I think? think what I do think, you think I, how the students say? I'd love to get your thoughts. I, I think I think they they are responsible for watching the weather forecasts and and adapting as uh, uh, as appropriate. Um, I don't think they actually do have control over the weather itself, but making sure that the right products okay. are available to suit to suit Spot the on. conditions. But on right as a as a OKR guru, objectives and key results person that's coaching so many. So we intuitively get that, but we take generations of future leaders, and we do this in the executive education as well with some of the advanced CEOs. That of course no one can control the weather. Of course, we could not control a pandemic, right? Of course, there are elements that are going to come and they will constantly come in terms of what we have faced. But what you can control is your ability to respond, your ability to adapt, your ability to have insight. And so, particularly in some of these countries, the outcomes-based approach, right, was what could you do when you have an extended cold spell? And then the students start saying, oh, wait a minute, and this is just a microcosm. We could, for example, instead of just selling ice cream, have hot chocolate, right? And those were the sales. We, we could use our distribution channels to distribute others. And so the leaders were thinking that I had my revenue target to deliver to shareholders. And because the circumstances changed, I didn't just say, oh my God, my budget won't be met. Yes, there would be challenges, but what were the innovative things that we built in? And the more muscle memory you build in, the more adaptability you build in with those guardrails, the more the result. And that is a yeah. mindset issue. So during COVID, yeah. you mentioned one of the articles. We said, why did agile organizations pull ahead? And we defined what agile meant because, you know, many claim to be agile. In fact, if you speak to folks, they'll say, of course I'm agile. You know, we have a 15-minute daily standard. We really defined it in terms of those that had the operational rhythm and we were very respectful for that. But part of it was um, the shortening of the runway. One of the most delightful kind of engagements I have is with uh, some senior leaders of Salesforce. And they attended two years in a row the, um, the, the, the Agile Short Intensive Program uh, at the Harvard Business School. And I really wanted to bring the leading thinkers together um, and drive this program. And I remember... The first year, of course, was pre-COVID, but during COVID, I engaged the team and said, how's, how's everyone doing? And I was fascinated by the response because in theory, I said, and, and by the way, Salesforce has 900 plus Scrum of Scrum teams running at the same time. Wow. Huge epiphany for Mark Benioff and full credit. Um, he talks about V2 mom, you know, still has a goal setting uh, a, a process is that in the three or four days of the famous Salesforce onboarding, his agile office of excellence, they have an agile office. The last day, I believe, is dedicated to agility. And of course, there's goal setting. So they've embedded it. So new folks coming mm -hmm. in. Right? So there's a start for you in organizations, right? And leaders like you and others that are there to help organizations 
is I encourage people to get that, to set up a center of excellence, get that acceleration through the beginning, okay? It, it, and, and, and starting by saying, number one, if you have an onboarding, because it's oftentimes a strategic uh, challenge for organizations, it's a sign. But as part of that, right, even if you're in a startup, if that means, hey, here's your desk and your thingy, if you're spending that time with someone, explain to them, here's our operating rhythm, here's our culture, of course, they'll experience that. But that investment was absolutely critical. And during COVID, um, I love the feedback that people didn't wait for instructions, right? They didn't wait for instructions. There were some organizations in the command and control where when it happened, they're like, wait a minute, what should we do? Let's wait for the orders and instructions. And time went as leaders were scrambling. There were several teams, and I really enjoyed this with, with Salesforce, and I, uh, I don't have shares or stocks or anything you know, linked to them. It's purely pure engagement. I must declare that. Um, uh, I don't have that uh, uh, relationship uh, with them. From a management perspective, the feedback that teams were able to refactor on their own, right? Some already said, hey, this happened. Uh, here's our outcome. Here's our delivery. Now, of course, no organization is perfect. And in their humility, they would be the first to mention that, right? Yeah. This is the muscle memory that world-class organizations have, right? And so the feedback, if you read the blogs on Salesforce, because I asked to see them and some of the feedback came through, is many of the customers were like, wow, people reached out proactively. People were there for us. And yeah. these companies powered through, right? Everybody found it tough. But their ability to respond where empowered teams within the framework, the very structured, were able to power through. So I'm sure they were, you know, I don't want, I'm sure if we speak to folks, they will share how tough it was, how difficult it was, how challenging it was. It doesn't matter whether you're agile or you have OKRs. Let's respect that. But what we're saying is the ability to respond certainly helps. That well, they had, they had the muscle memory. Right. Didn't they? They had the muscle memory. They had the the the, the tools, the resources, the, the habits, the routines, and uh, and yeah, they they had that ready to refocus when 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 the time came. Uh, and that's that's what really helps. That what that that is that is that is a, a huge benefit. And we see that with the use of OKRs. If if all of a sudden. Um, you know, a, a, an opportunity or a threat arises that the organization or the business has to capitalize on quickly, then because they've got their OKR framework in place and their routines and, and, and their processes and their systems, they just have to drop in this, this new defined priority into it and, and, and things, things fall into place. Um, and it's, I love how you said that, Roger, that mm. you said the opportunity as well as the challenges, right? Mm, mm. Because whether it's the, we're, we're helping the new generation of CEOs or me engaging the C-suite in the C-suite mindset, whether it's the weather, whether it's a, a crisis of any kind, it is absolutely going to be challenging. Acknowledge that it's people first, mm. the empathy. Of course, it's support. Of course, it's valuing. But the greatest value we can deliver as leaders in an organization is empowering our teams on the ground, unlocking their potential, freeing their mind, valuing them, respecting them. And it's all ultimately about trust. The organizations who's think of it as a submarine sonar or a radar, mm. the organizations that in which 
the teams said, let's wait for the sauna to ping out. And where they had the long cycle of it pinging back. Yeah. Six months paralyzed you. you know, yep. Forgive the use of my words. I, I want to be sensitive about them. It really was a challenge. Those that were able to get that echo ping back and forth. And the teams felt within the guard works and frameworks of uh, uh, what the parameters were to deliver to customers. You had customers that were able uh, uh, um, to also survive and thrive. And in that mindset, that empowering, you're empowering your staff. You truly are there for your customers through thick and thin. Mm. Obviously, context matters and not all organizations. So this is not to say that those that weren't able to were somehow uh, uh, um, uh, less caring, etc. And of course, it, it depends on your on your on on the context and the sector plays a role. But regardless of sector, public, private, risk levels, are there lessons we can learn, right, to varying degrees, that help us empower our teams, that help us respond to customers in a judgment-free zone? That's what we are. That's what the engagement with leaders are, and to share this is what it is. We don't want folks again to say, "Ah, look at digital native and look at what they are doing." I feel, oftentimes, you hear people say, "My organization is in the in the dark ages." With I said, absolutely not. You have so much going for you, right? You have customers, you have legacy, you have talent, you have people, mm. and. The objectives and key results was all about uh, releasing it. And as Andy Grove uh, used to paraphrase and many other leaders, you hire smart people, not to bring them on board and then dictate, this is what you should do. <laughs> exactly. 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 So I'm conscious that we've taken up uh, you know, enough of your time already. So I'd just like to wrap up with one final question, if I may. Given that our... Uh, uh, our listeners listen to us. They tune into us because you know we are a, a, an OKR podcast. Um, I'm curious what your final thoughts are on what uh, those that are using OKRs can do to uh, help, kind of maybe use those OKRs to leverage innovation, to perhaps in, maybe encourage more innovation. How do you think they could be used to help with that? Well. First of all, what a delightful conversation. And I'm so delighted that you are involved in the democratization of knowledge, which really is, is the heart of Thank what you. I'm committed to. It's just the ideas that we have are ideas. And you know, people should, depending on their context and where they are on both the agile and outcomes-based uh, delivery process, draw on it as needed, okay? This, this isn't saying this is... This is how you should go about stuff. But what are the lessons that you can, you, can, you can draw upon? And I think those are the same inside an organization is that oftentimes you'll hear this debate between, should I start with the so-called big bang approach of this change? Or should I start with this kind of snowball or incremental? There's no right or wrong, right? But oftentimes it starts with a group of leaders saying, how can we, create a movement and experiment in a culture of can do of empowering our staff and our teams that if there's a, an idea, how does it stand a better chance of blooming and reaching a thousand folks versus being struck down? And of course the standards are going to be high. How can we reduce risk? How can we engage and 
unlock the full potential of the organization. And it, it, it typically starts, I believe, at the top of the house in terms of that mindset and the tone that's set. The contact with the customer is at the cold face. The people that deliver it are at the cold face. The job is what we often refer to, and I love to talk about the trampoline effect, right? The more you push down on the trampoline, the more you empower, the more it springs back up and delivers and uh, drives results. So my final thoughts is don't let perfection be the enemy of good. Even in those, those organizations and sectors where it seems we can't even use the word experiment, it isn't about experimentation. This is about reducing risk. And again, use this as a smorgasbord to say, are there some elements, right? And there's much more new thinking that's going to come. That's what's exciting about this. And how do we enter this judgment-free zone? It's mm. about people. Mm. Never forget it. It's about no. the company. It is about our teams. And it starts with respect, trust, uh, um, uh, and, and empowerment. And so that's, that's my final message to folks. The other thing is share the knowledge wherever you get a chance. Share the knowledge. Certainly the articles we have, they're publicly available. And part of it as someone who grew up and, and has spent time at the cutting edge in emerging markets now in North America, the whole purpose of management is the improvement of society, mm. the improvement of access, and the, and the, the increased well-being uh, as a whole. So I'm incredibly excited at what's to come. I know it's going to be challenging, but the future is incredibly exciting. How it's not just technology that's going to empower us, but it's the mindset of us operating in what I would call the digital world. The mindset of being digital is the greatest challenge we have as leaders to let ourselves get out of the way of what our true potential is. And so that's my final thought. Even that's a great thought to finish on. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, it's been a pleasure uh, being in conversation with you. And uh, I'm absolutely certain that our listeners will uh, will have found that incredibly insightful and, and really enjoyable as well. So thank you again for your time and we wish you all the best for the future. It's been a great pleasure. Thank you.